0: Hello and welcome to Minted Dialogue, episode number 252. Today is Sunday the 15th of October 2017 and this interview is with Steve Brazell. Steve is known as and running Your Hitman. He's also the founder of Limelight, the the world's first patent-pending online brand builder, and Whetstone, the first online rebranding tool developed for the Department of Defense in the United States. Steve is the co-author of Clear, The Simple Guide to Keeping Your Business Alive and Kicking, which was published in 2011. And in this interview with Steve, we exchange on the differences between branding as a celebrity or politician versus branding as a company. We also look at crisis management in today's increasingly transparent world. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue, Steve Brazell. So we have been introduced uh, by a mutual acquaintance, friend uh, for you for sure, Eric Schultz at CODA, and uh, you are described as the hitman working on cutting through the noise. Um, So Stephen, your better words, uh, describe who you are and what's your mindset these days?
1: Well, uh, Hitman Inc. is a company that I founded 25 years ago. We've been here in New York for about eight and we're a competition removal firm. And I think that kind of leads into what my mindset really is. Uh, I have a saying that I think that, you know, people who delineate between their personal life and business life today are not doing the right thing. And my mindset is hyper-focused on if, if, if you find your passion, if you seek and put 100% into everything that you love and do, that you'll find that you don't, you stop delineating between your business life and your personal life, and it kind of melds into one. And I think that my mindset is that the people who are hyper-focused today are the ones that are going to win. The people who don't delineate between work and play necessarily are the ones that are going to win and are winning. Well,
0: I couldn't agree with you more. My, my tagline for my company is branding gets personal, which is ultimately the same thing. But if I listen to the hitman, it's about removing the competition. So on the one hand, you're sort of being you, integrity, authentic, personal, professional. But on the other hand, it's getting rid of the competition. So help me through, understand how... Getting rid of the competition is the, uh, or that's the consequence.
1: Well, the consequence is getting rid of the competition. It's everything. You know, I think people today think that competition is, hey, I'm competing. We're working hard at winning market share. What they don't think about very often is it's no different. You know, business competition today is no different than a sporting event. There is a winner and there is a loser. And if you are not winning market share, you're losing market share. If you're only maintaining market share, you're losing because you're spending a lot of money to maintain that market share. So what it boils down to competition removal is the battle for your customer is taking place in the mind of the market, in the mind of the customer. When they think about brands, they're thinking and associating attributes that are the most important to them when they purchase a product. And the best product doesn't always win. If you look at Apple, you look at Samsung, the Samsung wins every time on paper, but the Apple uh, products continue to win in the marketplace because they've built such a powerful brand. And when I talk about competition removal, what I talk about is creating such a strong brand in the mind of the customer, that your competitors don't even become an option, that your competitors fall so low on the choice list that they're ultimately removed from the competitive choice and that you become the first and obvious choice to your customers.
0: Okay, so in this point, we're kind of looking at brand loyalty at some level and how a brand sticks to you and and remains sort of almost integral to you as a customer. So how, how do you feel that that has changed over the years because... Let's say that choice and the transparency and availability of choice seems to be plethoric now, so how do you how do you make that happen today, or do you see that changing?
1: It's dramatically changed uh, brand loyalty, especially with millennials uh, gen Zers uh, is 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 honestly just out the window. There is no brand loyalty uh, it's fostered you know the you know the new choice economy where I don't have to make a costly purchase because I can rent or borrow almost anything. Uh, I don't have to buy a car. I can Uber. My son just went away to college. Uh, he's 18 years old. Uh, he's never gotten a driver's license, despite the fact that we got him a car. Um, and he and and he says, Dad, why would I spend money on a car when I can just Uber? And he has a point. He doesn't have to make a costly car purchase decision. He can just Uber. And everything from apartments to tools to clothes Almost anything today can be rented as opposed to purchased, and there's this whole change in how we view brand loyalty. The only brand that consumers seem to be loyal to today is their own. And ultimately, when you think about it, we all wake up naked, and then we start making brand choices, because the only way that I can tell the world who I am and what I believe in, what's important to me, is by associating myself with brands, whether that's an Armani suit or a Chanel bag or a Tesla car. All of these things are adding value to me. And so what happens is consumers today, when it comes to brand loyalty, are constantly seeking the brands that add, the, the brand that they can afford that adds the most value to them as an individual.
0: All right, so how do you materially make that happen? If you're in a, you're in a business... You got a customer in front of you and you want to make your brand stick and uh, be, you know, clothe your naked customer.
1: You have to start with what's important to humans. And when people, a lot of clients will say, well, what's your specialty? What industry do you focus on? And what I tell them is we focus on the human industry because humans make choices about, which insurance they're going to buy, which car they're going to buy, the same way they buy dish soap, which is, what is it going to, what's the trade-off? Does this solve my problem? Is it the best at solving my problem? And my problem could be a physical problem, an emotional problem, other issues. And so you really have to start at what does the consumer want? And, for example, let's talk about ladies' handbags. Um, we want to believe that humans or watches – We want to believe that humans are rational, but humans are not rational. If humans were rational, no one would ever buy a Ferrari. No one would ever pay $20,000 for a Chanel bag because a rational human is simply looking for some technology to get them from point A to point B. They don't need a Ferrari. And if, if a woman is just looking for something to carry around her personal items, she can use a much less expensive bag than a Chanel. But, when you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, outside of, of, of basic needs being met, safety, food, shelter, etc cetera, the next is that we want to belong to a group. And once we belong to that group, our next need is to differentiate ourselves within the group. So oft times, you'll see that humans want to belong to a group, so thus, if I can purchase a Starbucks, I'm part of a certain crowd that is able to afford that every day, if i can buy an iphone or if i can if i can vacation somewhere tropical or in the in the caribbean i'm part of a certain crowd and then they want to move themselves up the food chain within that group and so the key for brands to be successful today is the first and most important thing is to understand their market and understand the emotional mindset of their market of what is important to that consumer and how does my brand or product move them from being accepted to the group to being differentiated in the group.
0: Do you believe, Steve, that this is something that's true for every brand or every product?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's there's no difference. There's no different. So, look, if, if, if Hillary Clinton would have won the presidential election in America, is that a good thing for women? Absolutely. Why? Because... If I'm a woman, I'm part of the group of, 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 I'm part of the group called women. And if I have a female president, that's good for females in general. right? If I'm an African American and Obama's the president, then that's good for my group. So it's the same for whether it's who I vote for, the city I live in. Living in New York City gives you a competitive advantage because people look to New York City, as a place where you know where the best of the best tend to be because it's expensive to be in new york city there's no one really here that just lives here because they grew up here and we call this the brand halo effect which is really the choices you make um, you know uh, where you live the person you vote for the clothes you wear all of these things you know really creates this halo around you and the way that others perceive you to be
0: Mm. So you, uh, you work, Steve, with brands, celebrities and politicians, which is quite, I mean, I kind of feel like I want to be the fly on the wall when you have some of those conversations. But the first question I have for you, when you're dealing with individuals versus when you're dealing with brands, how do you describe the difference between the work that you need to do with both of those entities or people?
1: Well, I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make, is that they, they treat a corporate brand different than an individual brand, different than a celebrity or a politician. You know, Jay-Z said, it great, I am a business, comma, man, right? So he is, he is a business. He is a brand. Beyonce's a brand. Um, a politician is a brand. And, and people vote for brands. They don't vote for people. They vote because when you think about it, I go and I buy a Nike shoe because what it represents, right, not only to me as an individual, but what it represents to the people around me. I vote for a Donald Trump or I vote for a Hillary Clinton based on what I believe to be true about them, based on what the attributes I associate with them. The reason why Hillary Clinton lost the election is because the single most important attribute politics is trust and she just didn't have enough of it to get across the finish line that was her biggest downfall not who she is as a person or 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 making it political or, or the Russians or anything else at the end of the day it was simply she failed to own the most important attribute trust and for Trump at the end of the day look 70% 70% of all Americans, over 70% of all Americans can recall his positioning statement, which is make America great again. And over 73% of Americans uh, liked it. They may not like Trump. And again, there's a big difference between the individual and what I mean by this, the individual and the brand, because how an individual is or what he is, right? Your brand your is, is simply your reputation and your reputation is is what people believe to be true about you, not what's true.
0: Okay, so that's as far as an individual is concerned. And I think, if I'm correct, you said the mistake is that brands don't think as individuals. Now, it's easy to select, well, if you're an individual... Or or, or, or both. Right, but if you're an individual or you're a celebrity, you're, you're Beyonce, I get that. Now I'm thinking as a brand, the mistake is not to think as a person, but how does that happen?
1: Well... For a company, yeah, you're saying it's a exactly company. right. For a company, it's the same thing, right? If you think, let's take an example of, of SeaWorld, right? SeaWorld is a big company. Um, after the movie Blackfish came out, their stock has plummeted by over 50%. Um, and it's not that they're running their business any differently, it's not that their marketing or advertising has dramatically changed. It's that the perception of what people believe to be true about SeaWorld has changed. And that people, you know, the likability of their brand has plummeted. So, when you're a business, you need to look at yourself the exact same way. What is your reputation, right? That's why you see these businesses that keep, you know, you look at Sam's or, uh, Samsung's problem with their, uh, with their Note phone that was catching on fire. You know, they lost 30% of all their business. They uh, and half of that went to Apple. Uh, it was catastrophic. You know, or or the same when someone gets dragged off an airliner. Um, at the end of the day, that costs them billions of dollars uh, in lost stock value. And I think that what companies are learning. Look at look at, the headline news today is Weinstein. Right, he is out, and uh, today they have hired two new ad agencies to come up with a whole new name. Why is it a different company? Has nothing to do with it. It's all about reputation and tying his name to. Uh, alleged, uh, you know, sexual, you know, challenges for him with his brand hurts the business.
0: All right, now if I'm a brand, you know, like a uh, Frito Lay, how does a Frito Lay get that to happen? Because I think where I'm where I'm wobbling or you know working towards is this notion of the CEO or or some executive in the in, in Pepsi or I can't remember who owns them now. Um, who has to be that brand or allow for the personal professional to come through?
1: Well, it, there's a couple of, you know, a multi-pronged strategy with a company like a Frito Lay or a Pepsi. Number one, companies today need to be really, really careful about social media and what individuals do or say, because um, if, if the CEO of Pepsi uh, is accused of sexual harassment that affects the overall brand. It affects the stock price. It affects all of these other things which can be really problematic just in the case of of Weinstein, for example. But Frito-Lay needs to look at their umbrella brand of what is Frito-Lay and what is the idea that they own. I say Frito-Lay, you probably say snacks. Mm -hmm. And you probably don't say healthy snacks. But that's not really what they're trying to own. And more importantly is, is as you drop down in the umbrella typically you're going to have a brand manager for each one of their products, whether it's, you know, the, their corn chips, you know, Cheetos, and then they'll try and drive home the core attributes for that specific product. So I think that, you know, there's a multi-pronged strategy with big companies uh, where they, they are working on their umbrella brand. Uh, they try and, and keep the key people who could hurt stock value, um, you know, in, in between the guardrails and then really where their main focus is today is where the consumer touches their brand, which is on the shelf. I'm reaching out when I buy Cheetos, I'm not buying Frito-Lay, I'm buying Cheetos. And that's the that's the brand where the consumer touches it.
0: And that's a competitor to Frito-Lay. Yes. Because not everyone will be as familiar with all the tools, you know, the different goodies. So uh let's just talk a, bit, a little bit about a politician, um, and I, without unfortunately getting the names, of course. When you work with them, uh, how do you adjust for, let's say, an asinine attitude?
1: Well, it, it's a problem, right? For example, I think that what you... The first thing with politics is to understand what your voter base wants, right? And I think that what we've shown over the past with our understanding of how politics is working in the marketplace is you're never going to to bring a a hard left or right, you know, uh, voter to the middle and and or to your voting. Where you really want to focus on is you want your key constituents to continue to be passionate about you, and then you want to get the mushy middle to move over to your side. The challenge that you have today is that once you start to create with a politician, once you start to create a strategy, um, and you want to, the key with a politician or any brand, is that they own the most important attributes to the voter base. And what happens when a politician or a CEO, but you know we're talking about politicians, when they've got an nine attitude or they start doing things off the rails, what that does is starts to hurt your ability to control what attributes that are owning to their voter base. And that's really problematic. Um, I can't fathom, you know, had Hillary Clinton not just completely destroyed her own campaign um, with, with what happened and, and with very weak uh, brand positioning for her. But I can't imagine the challenges that Donald Trump's campaign has had and continues to have trying to rein him in um, because I think he'll. I think that when Trump comes out the other side of this presidency, he will have destroyed his brand. Right. all
0: right. And I, I mean, I'm with you on the politics, but um, <laughs> when when you when you do that as a politician, I I feel that there's a closer notion of arranging my attributes as opposed to presenting who I am.
1: That's true, right? What we want to try and do again is. However, this is going to sound, and this is the way we do it, which is we want to find, again, what are the most important attributes to the voting base? Now we want to try and bend, pound, push, pull, and otherwise distort that politician as much as we possibly can to fit those key attributes, because that's what voters want. Sometimes it's possible. It's not always. But also, if we know what key attributes are important to The voting base, you know, uh, and you know, the trust is, hey, it's it was by design that, um, you know, the, the Trump campaign worked very hard to try and push distrust with the voters in regards to Hillary, because that really hurt.
0: Well, and just to push back a second, because I'm now thinking back to the comments you made about brands and moving up Maslow's pyramid it seems that the voting and the attributes wished for were quite at the bottom end of sort of a primitive level of Maslow's pyramid when it came to voting for Trump.
1: Well, at the end of the day with Trump, I think the reason why, the reason why Trump won is because Hillary lost. And what that simply means is Trump was the lesser of two evils. And had they not been so successful at exacerbating Hillary's distrust, right? A lot of people voted not because they were so passionate about Trump, but because they just simply didn't trust Hillary or didn't like Hillary. And I think that was really challenging for well, her. So I think that this was a unique, a unique situation because it wasn't really, it wasn't a, a, a really good two-horse race. Maybe had Mitt Romney been in it with Hillary, it would have been kind of a two-horse race, but this ended up being, who do you like, you know, uh, which one do you dislike least?
0: Well, just to think, I mean, maybe that's why some people say Bernie against Donald would have been a more interesting one, because there you have two people pushing their own agenda, pushing their own attributes, if you will, to to use your terminology, as opposed to reading the polls and giving them them what they want. And, and to circle back to brands, this notion of giving them what they want and then flipping it one step further back to be who you are as a person when you're running a company. Do you then want to have a CEO or, and a founder who is modeling the attributes that he thinks his customers wants to have to get that trust or is just being his own self?
1: In a perfect world, in a perfect world, you want a Steve Jobs, right? Who, I think that Steve, what I mean by this is Steve Jobs was authentic. Uh, the attributes of his, his passion, his drive for perfectionism, his uh, a bit of a flippant attitude, all of these attributes were in line with Apple's attributes of, of, of trying. And again, this is through the hardcore growth years of Apple where, they had a real cult following, and and people were more, you know, following Steve Jobs and even the Apple brand. In a perfect world, what you want to do is you want to have um, – as, you want authenticity. You want to strive for authenticity. That hurt Hillary as well, right, because I don't think – you know, she doesn't necessarily – when she would try and come across as warm and engaging, that's not really who she is. And so it came across as maybe um, less than authentic. And at least Trump, when he would come across, you know, as kind of a a street smart scrapper, uh, at least it was authentic, right? Because Trump has no filter. So the trust went up because of authenticity. So the key is when you build a brand You have authenticity, and it's coming in from the left. You have the core attributes coming in from the right. And in a perfect world, your CEO and or the company uh, merges with authenticity and the core attributes. And that's where you're constantly pushing together because you want – you know you need to own these core attributes. And you want to do it authentically as much as you possibly can because what does hurt you is – as soon as somebody sees, sees behind the curtain, reference to Oz, of course, uh, and sees that you're not authentic, it, it explodes uh, and just uh, horrifically for companies today.
0: Well, so this gets back to my question a little bit before, Steve, about the asinine attitude. Because in at the end of the day, an asinine attitude will be outed. And whether it's Weinstein or uh, Kalanick or David McClure the examples of generally men having bad attitudes do come to the fore and so it's it's a challenge to be personal and professional especially when your personal side is a shit
1: absolutely <laughs> so absolutely
0: i wanted to um talk about you you work also in crisis management and and i suppose the shitstorms continue to uh, be revealed uh, daily how how do you think that managing a a crisis uh should be handled or prepared for these
1: days it's dramatically different today than it used to be and 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 the first most important rule of crisis management is you know shut the fuck up right i know that sounds that sounds horrible i don't know if we can actually say that on your podcast
0: well we did so it's fine
1: (laughs) well what we tell stop talking about it number one What happens is today because there are so many immediate outlets Especially for celebrities or high net worth individuals Twitter Instagram Facebook, etc. for them to start Trying to tell their side of the story what they don't realize is it does more harm than good Typically and there's two kinds of there's lots of different kinds of crisis, but let's talk two kinds real kinds of crisis where someone has broken the law and it's not going to go away, other kinds of crisis where somebody is caught snorting coke off of the wrong person in the wrong elevator That's, <laughs> that could potentially hurt their job, the point that, or, or, their, or their opportunities. The point is, is again, as we kind of discussed, the, the market's attention span is very, very low today. And and life is like an Instagram feed where you're constantly streaming, looking for what's next, what's next, what's next. The best advice that I could give to anyone when it comes to crisis management today, outside of if they've broken the law, if they haven't broken the law, is don't do anything at all. Be quiet because what happens is, you know, you're going to be yesterday's news and then you're gonna be last week's news. People are interested in today's scandal and the new scandal. And what happens is a lot of people are so hyper-focused on getting attention, they think, you know, any press is good press. That used to be true, not today. Today, bad press is bad press, and good press is good press.
0: Okay, so I hear you. Uh, the legal one is a different kind of ball game, but one that's ethically questionable is really the ones that, that get, I would get to the heart of a bigger problem.
1: Yes, I mean, so for example... Um, if, if you ha- if you're, if you're a Weinstein or, or if you're a uh, Lance Armstrong, right? What do you do? For example, Lance Armstrong did exactly what he should not have done. Um, what he should have done is disappeared for six months and let the storm settle down a bit. Um, developed a smart plan, come out a bit apologetic and move forward at a very slow steady pace instead he came out he did a very inauthentic uh it's not my fault everyone's doing it um interview with oprah winfrey which was just became a real shitstorm for him uh he's lost an estimated 150 million in endorsements and additional income it's just been highly problematic so i think that there are there's 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 the moral structure, there's a legal structure, and, you know, today, the first and most important thing typically is stop, don't say anything, and think through a careful strategy. All
0: right, so I, you know, uh, let's say I have a little bit of a sort of a, ha- a higher-than-thou, perhaps, attitude, so maybe, you know, it's not very realistic, but at the end of the day, if I'm preparing for a crisis management, it almost feels like the, the beginning piece should be, what have we done that is ethically questionable? and And taking stock yourselves of what potentially could become a problem, so that means being a little bit truthful to yourself, hey, listen, you know i 've been doping uh, maybe I you know this could become a problem if it becomes a problem, then here has to be the line that we do or do not give, but i 'm thinking also about your employees so i don 't know Armstrong how many people he had as a team, but if i 'm if i 'm a uh, running an organization and I have many employees saying nothing cannot be as won't be well received by the employee base
1: yes and, and part of it is is the single greatest motivator for humans is fear of loss right fear of loss of I mean when you talk about man's greatest fears right so men's health did a study um, death is number four uh getting old is number three. Getting sick is number two. And the single most impo- uh, biggest fear of for men is going broke. So when you think about that and it starts to put in perspective fear of loss, um fear of loss is a big driver. The reason why people don't come out, uh the reason why people don't stand moral ground, the reason why people most people do what they do is number one, they don't want to lose money, they don't want to lose their position, they don't want to lose face. Um and, and those are typically the key motivators. The biggest challenge you have with celebrities or high-net-worth individuals is they have a very, uh, as, as a lot of us do maybe, a distorted view of who we are and how we fit into the world and what we should be held accountable for. Because a lot of these people uh, have a very different view of, uh, like you said, a holier-than-thou attitude But maybe they don't. You know the the the, the other but the rules that pertain to the rest of humanity may not pertain to them.
0: I am wondering also how you know companies today are going to be able to get through. But I, if I had to resume what I, what I've listened from you, Steve, the first is this notion of aligning your personal and professional, and and following that purpose, and that allows you to. Uh, create content messaging that's going to cut through the noise. Would that be a fair resume, eh?
1: Yeah, I would say the first most important thing is, hey, why do I get out of bed in the morning? What am I passionate about? What am I, what right do I wrong? And that's what your core brand is, right? What right am I trying to wrong? How am I trying to affect the world, right? What problem do I solve? And are people willing to pay me for it? Right. Mm -hmm. If you're not a charity. Uh, So absolutely. That's where you start. And then everything, all of your core messaging, all your core drivers, when you understand your core brand of who you are and why you matter, why you exist, all your other decisions uh, across your brand, across your messaging, uh, how you govern your business become easy.
0: Well, I, it's, it sounds easy, but of course, you know, the reality is finding out who you are is quite the journey, isn't it, Steve? It's,
1: it's, it's, it's really hard. And the reason why people hire us to come in and do a brand strategy session is because, you know, studies continue to show that the companies that fail to innovate the most are the companies that don't bring in outsiders because the more, we, the more time we spend with people around us, the more we start to think like them. And we start to see the world the same way. So it's no wonder that these companies that uh, become closed off start losing their ability to innovate because they're not bringing in fresh ideas and fresh perspectives. And they see the world the way that they've always seen it. And so one thing that is so critical for companies today to to sharpen their brand message, to future-proof their company, right, like you're talking about, and create these new strategies is to get outside help to understand really their core value of what problems they're solving, how the world's perceiving their brand, how they want to be perceived so that they can better compete and win.
0: Well, speaking of which, Steve, what better way to uh, turn, terminate? Tell us uh, how people can um, get in touch with you and, and use Hitman to help them find their way.
1: Well, the core difference at Hitman is we don't do marketing. We have our websites, but 100% of our business is referral-based. And I have one thing that's critical for everyone to understand is, look, you can't give people what they pay for today. You have to give them more than what they pay for if you want to create a brand fan because we will only create brand fans if we give more than what people expect. Um, We do it with our clients, and when we give more, um, our clients talk about us so it becomes the same way that we met. I had a friend of mine, a client of mine that talked to you um, and, and that's the best way to win today is to exceed expectations every single time hmm. uh, That's our mantra that's what we do you can find us at yourhitman.com uh, you can find us at you can find more about me at Steve Brazel is a boy uh, or just Google you know hitman Inc. New York City, and you'll find us.
0: Beautiful. Steve, thanks for coming online. Look forward to staying in touch.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having listened to
0: this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way, to rid me of the gray, and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your